Welcome back to the show. Our book segment today, great to welcome man who's written a very fascinating book. It is called The American Experiment, Dialogues on a Dream. And, of course, you've seen him on his uh, own television show, Bloomberg TV's The David Rubenstein Show, where he interviews uh, just about everybody. And that's kind of what this book is about, interviews with uh, people in all walks of life, uh, including Ken Burns, John Meacham, Billie Jean King, and uh, Justice uh, Sotomayor, all about uh, The American Experiment. That's what we're going to talk about today as David joined us uh, by telephone. And uh, David, good to talk with you. How are you? My pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me back. I know I know you're doing a lot of these, so we'll, we'll try and uh, ask you something a little bit different if I can. But I, I got to say, I always enjoy books okay. uh, where you get to read interviews. I've, I've always enjoyed uh, doing the interviews myself uh, locally, but uh, you've got a chance to do it uh, uh, on your TV show. And that's kind of what this book is about. You sit down with uh, all these different people in different walks of life and just kind of get their thoughts on, on America. I guess this is kind of the third in a series of books you've done, right? You did the uh, previous one, The American Story, that's and correct. one on leadership, right? Yes, and this one is about uh, how America is unique and the qualities we have as Americans that enable us to get through all the things we've, we've dealt with, and obviously we've had stress tests through our life. But interestingly, as you know, as an interviewer, interviewing is a good way to get people to talk to you in ways that you don't get from giving a speech. So when you interview somebody, you can really learn a lot more. And when you read the transcripts of interviews, you can learn a lot more than if you just read a regular prose book, I think. Yeah, I always find it interesting uh yeah, obviously you want to hear them on radio, a podcast, or a television, but even reading them, you do get more of an insight as opposed to somebody doing an article about somebody, which is fine, but you don't always, you get more of the writer's point of view as opposed to the guest's point of view when you do that. that that's true. Interestingly, the interview format that we're now engaged in is one that's pretty popular around the world, but it didn't exist for thousands of years. There's no interviews of Cleopatra or Charlemagne, or William Shakespeare, or Abraham Lincoln. They just didn't have the interview format, and therefore we don't know a lot about what these people would have said had they been interviewed. Yeah, no doubt. I don't even remember. You just kind of brought back something up to me. Steve Allen did a show called Meeting of the Minds, where he kind of somewhat created that. Went back in history and had You're actors correct. portray uh, famous people, like you just said, Shakespeare and, and other people like that, in, in an interview format. I've ever remember seeing that. I do, and also, but Steve Allen more or less invented the interview format as an entertainment form because at the night show, when he was the air, you know, the host here before Jack Parr, right. he really did interviews, and it was it was the, really kind of began this whole interview format that we now see on television. Did you kind of grow up uh, with those shows? I did. I just you know, as a kid always enjoyed talk shows as a kid, and uh, and that format, which you don't see on TV as much, other than your show, maybe some you know cable shows, but. It used to be on late-night TV all the time, or daytime talk shows had long-form interviews. Yes, they used to have shows when I was uh, younger. You know, Johnny Carson used to have longer interviews. Dick Cavett was on with longer interviews. Merv Griffin was on with longer interviews. And Phil Donahue had some longer interviews. Now you just see things that are snippets because I guess the attention span of Americans is much shorter than it used to be. Yeah, unfortunate. Because uh, uh, I think you, it, it's riveting if it's done well. A one-on-one, Tom Snyder did it so well on his show uh, for many years. Larry King on, on CNN and on radio. And you miss that when you don't see that on, on TV. Anyway, we want to talk about the book. How, how did you put uh, the group of people together in this particular book that uh, that you you know feature in, in this uh, American okay. experiment? Well, I had about 50 potential interviews, and then I'd like to say I let the publisher decide because that way if my friends who I interviewed didn't get in the book, I can say I can blame it on the publisher. <laughs> but obviously, as you know, whenever you're putting a book together, you can't have everybody in the book. So there's some people at the last minute I just had to take out. 
but it's a book that's designed to let people thumb through it. You can read them in the beginning, you can read in the middle, you can read at the end, and get a sense of what these people are like. Cal Ripken, what was he? What's he really like? Or Justice Sotomayor, what does she really think about civics? Or it's just an interesting kind of uh, collection of interviews of people who have made history and people that have written about history. Now, some of these you did, I guess, for your TV show, and others you did separately from the show, right? Yes, a summer on a TV show, but some I said, I want to have a certain person, and I would call them up and say, can we do an interview? And normally I would go to their house or they would come to you know, a studio, but here we did a lot of them virtually because of COVID. So we did the interviews uh, you know, in ways that we wouldn't have done them in, in normal times. Right, right. Yeah, that, that has changed everything, hasn't it? But uh, <laughs> Well, uh, the, the list you have, like I mentioned, is really a cross-section from uh, politics to uh, business, obviously uh, sports. Uh, you mentioned Cal uh, Ripken, and uh, I was just reading before the, the Billie Jean King one. We're, of course, the U.S. Open right now. How was she to talk to? I had a chance to talk to her a long time ago uh, when I was in college, uh, did a, a brief interview with her. She seemed uh, engaging at that time. I, I guess she's always been kind of one of those people that's uh, uh, kind of a, uh, a focal point, right? You know, some athletes are very shy and withdrawn. They're not very verbal. She is the opposite. She's very verbal. I don't know whether she was when she was very young, but she's very verbal and willing to talk about anything, including things that people normally wouldn't have talked about uh, in the past. Yeah, she was a, a, a great player, but also a controversial figure back in the, uh, mostly in the 70s, when uh, really she helped uh, form the uh, the Women's Tennis Tour and, and Title IX and all that kind of thing. So uh, her thoughts on uh, America, did, did, was she uh, optimistic, or what did she say? Well, well, she came from a blue-collar background. She rose up to the heights of athletic fame, but she was more interested in equality for women, to make sure they got equal purses, but also when she came out of the closet, so-called, and identified herself as a lesbian. That was very unusual for right. professional athletes at the time. And she thought it would end her career. It didn't. And actually, if anything, uh, she'd become even better known than she was before for breaking that barrier. Yeah, she had really been a, a top player for about 10, 12 years before all the, the, if you want to call it controversial things, started in the early 70s. Of course, the, the match with Bobby Riggs, that kind of uh, put the, the women's movement on right. top, even though that was kind of an entertainment thing. But that was the point, you know, the whole women's movement at that time. So it really was an important point in American history, wasn't it? It was, and as a tennis player, she came from a blue-collar background. Normally, that's, as tennis players didn't come from blue-collar background. She didn't have money for lessons and so forth. But she played singles, she played doubles, and she played mixed doubles. And it's very rare today to see champions play all three of those in a tournament. Yeah, you don't see that much anymore. I think Martina might have been the last one. Martina Navratilova might have been the last that right. that would do all three uh, in in the majors. But uh, of course, not only sports. You mentioned uh, Cal Ripken, uh, entertainment. Rita Moreno, really a, a one of the great actresses. And uh, what was she like to talk to? I always enjoyed her work. Well, as the chairman of the Kennedy Center, well, we gave her Kennedy Center honors one year, and I got to know her. And you know, I couldn't believe that she was the age she was. She's now, I think, eighty-eight years old, but yeah. as vibrant as anybody can be. And uh, she's won an Emmy, a, a Grammy, an Oscar, a Tony, really a rare person that's won all those things. Plus, she's received the Presidential Medal of Freedom and other things. So she's an incredible person and very, very delightful. She had a tragedy in her life where she committed suicide or tried to commit suicide, I should say, mm. uh, because she was unhappy with the unfaithfulness of her partner, Marlon Brando. Right. And ultimately, her stomach was pumped out and she was saved. And that's a great thing for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I've heard interviews, other interviews that she's talked about that, uh, but thankfully that didn't happen at that time. But And also still working today. I believe she's on that uh, one day at a time, that, that TV show. So uh, God bless her. And of course, she uh, she's still working and, uh, 
you know, I hope I'm working at 88 as well. That's right. Both of us. <laughs> Anything kind of surprise you? I mean, we have other people like Madeline Albright you had on, Ken Burns, who does those great uh, uh, documentaries, uh, John Meacham on civil rights. Any of these people that uh, maybe you didn't know too well going into the interview that, that changed, that, uh, you know, surprised you a little bit? I knew a lot of them, but I just didn't know everybody. And uh, the people that I didn't know very often, uh, you know, I had to warm up to them and they had to warm up to me because they, you know, they hadn't been interviewed my before. But, you know, if you've interviewed somebody before, it's a little bit easier than if you haven't interviewed them before right. because they know you and you know them. But on the whole, I think most people are prepared to talk about what America means to them. And everybody I interviewed is an American. And this is a country people take great pride in, as they should. And now as we get the mark of the the uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11, clearly people are thinking about the country and patriotism and, and what we can do to make the country better. So it's an appropriate time to kind of talk about what makes America great, and that's what this book is about. Optimism uh, pretty much run through all, I've, I've you know, read through most of the interviews, but would you say optimism runs through most of the people you talk to as far yes. as America goes? Good. Yeah. I, I felt that people from reading. Who are high yeah. Achie- yes, people who are high achievers tend to be optimistic. If you're pessimistic and you have a lots of depression, probably it's harder to be that successful. Now, obviously, people with depression do achieve great things, but generally, most of the people I interview are fairly optimistic about the future because look what happened to them. They were they achieved greatness in their life, and they generally tend to be optimistic, yes. Yeah. Well, we have limited time today. Let me just mention the title once again, The American Experiment, Dialogues on a Dream, and we've been talking to the author, David Rubenstein. Of course, you can see him on his Bloomberg TV show, and, of course, you've got so many other things going on with your business interests and uh, philanthropy, so uh, thank you for that. As I speak for many, you uh, uh, enjoy the things you've uh, worked with, the JFK Center and all the other things, but uh, do you have a website you want to direct people to? It's available everywhere, I imagine, right? Yes. We do. We have a website that uh, has it, davidrubenstein.com. And we'll put a link on our website as well. But, David, pleasure talking to you. Hopefully we can do it again. Thanks for joining us. Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.